0: Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And so, you know, Guardians came out last week. That's <laughs> a big, big movie. Yep. So all, all of Hollywood, the entire movie industry was like, you know, we don't want to release our big movies after a Marvel movie. We don't no. even want to release our mid-tier movies after a Marvel movie. They So all. usually usually the immediate week after a big release like that, it's always the release for the smaller stuff, the alternative, uh, alternative uh, uh, programming, as they say. The book club, the next chapter, things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so, C and I, we had a dilemma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we made a we we made a commitment to try to always get at least one episode out every week, and we were we were like, okay, well, there's nothing notable coming out the week after Guardians. Mm-hmm. uh there's only this stuff like the book club the second chapter or um <laughs> or uh, uh
1: the ben affleck movie that's out yeah and,
0: hypnotic even though that was directed by robert rodriguez but you know robert rodriguez the, can be hit or miss yes um
1: yes. Th-
0: but then i did my research and i was like oh uh this this uh guy who's in always sunny in philadelphia he's having a movie come out his directorial and, debut well, actually, I was talking about uh, uh, Blackberry, starring mm. um, starring the guy who played Glenn Howerton, starring Glenn Howerton. Apparently, that movie has been getting amazing reviews. Really? Everyone's, everyone's saying like, "Oh, Glenn Howerton is a revelation. Uh, he, it's, he's so good in this. This is a wait, great did he direct
1: movie. it or he's in it?
0: No, he's just in it. He's like the okay, lead. Okay, okay. He's just in gotcha. it. Um, and again, it, it, it followed that trend of like these movies surrounding the launch of a product. You know, we just Mm had the Tetris movie. We just had the Air movie about the Air Jordans. So Blackberry was kind of a continuation on that, mixed in with kind of like the melodrama that came from having a crazy CEO, stuff we've seen like with uh, the dropout and Mm -hmm. um, also uh, the the Apple TV movie about uh, WeWork called uh, We Mm -hmm. Crashed. So it it was like a mixture of those two types of uh, of trends of, of storytelling we've been seeing come from Hollywood. So mm-hmm. that looked really interesting. Oh yeah. That'd be great to watch. If it's getting great reviews, Glenn Howerton, there's talks of him maybe getting into the award season because of this. Wow. And um, I was like, yeah, this is great. And guess what? No theater <laughs> in our area was playing it. Nothing. I, I looked, I
1: looked and the closest thing it was. Um, That's crazy. That, like, and the
0: showtimes were weird too. Yeah. Like so, it was 2 p.m. or something. I'm like, no. So, you know, we were like, well, shit, what the fuck? And then we we're like, oh, well, the other Always Sunny guy also has a movie coming out, Charlie Day. <laughs>
1: yep.
0: Uh, his directorial debut, a comedic satire of Hollywood called Fool's Paradise. Mm-hmm. And Fool's Paradise has a very interesting history. Charlie Day had been writing the script for a while, like during his during his breaks in during when shooting always sunny and shooting the various movies he was, he was on mm-hmm. and he finally got the ball rolling on the project in 2018. He shot the film in 2018 and he started, you know, he started the post-production process and apparently in the middle of the edit, he basically raised his hands and went, Oh, this isn't as good as it, as I wanted it to be. What, what should I do? And, you know, he met up with one Guillermo del Toro, who he is friends with, who he is friends with and said, Guillermo, you're you're an Oscar. You just won an Oscar a couple years ago. (laughs) You are one of the most celebrated directors in the industry. Take a look at my movie. What do you think? I uh, my my financiers are telling me to just tweak the edit and release it. But in my heart of hearts, I really feel like this requires extensive reshoots. What do you think? So Guillermo del Toro saw the saw the cut of the movie, and he told him, you only get to make your first, your directorial debut once. So if you genuinely feel like you have to reshoot some parts of it, reshoot it. And you know what? Here are some notes I'm, I want to give you about the script. I should also think you should seriously consider rewriting some sections of the film and uh, ostensibly guillermo del toro basically was an uncredited rewriter of the script Mm -hmm. and charlie day got the ball rolling into uh basically doing research or not research reshoots but you know guess what happened the pandemic happened Mm -hmm. the pandemic happened and charlie day was not able to gather the cast members he needed until Late 2021, early 2022. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was able to do his reshoots. Started post-production in earnest again. Had to delay some stuff because he was in a lot of projects. Finally is almost done with uh, post-production. And a little sort of... It was a controversy, but not really. Was that word got out of the story of at the time it was called fool's gold. Mm. The, the store, the, the kind of the, the pitch of fool's gold got out. And when people found out that it was about this lead who, it was pretty apparent that he had some sort of mental disability, disability, and that the character's name was Tonto, which for those that don't know is Spanish for dumb. you know, some, some, some people were irked. Some eyebrows were raised, and Charlie Day decided, it took it upon himself, to uh, go through a bit more post-production to ADR, ADR out the the fact that, you know, the character's name was Tonto and renamed the character Pronto, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Latte Pronto. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, finally, all that's done. And now the film is primed for release, distributed by Lionsgate for 2023. So that's kind of the little history of, of Charlie Day's directorial debut, it's an it's an interesting history because, like, I, do you listen to the Always Sunny podcast? See, I here's the okay.
1: I love Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I the show, it was, I. Started watching it very early on. A friend of mine in high school told me about it. I ended up liking it way more than that friend. By I like a lot. Like he lost interest in it after like a year. I religiously watched it. Still do when it comes out. Um, I have watched and listened to some clips of the podcast. But I have
0: not listened to it like fully. Have you? No, I've seen clips here and there. I know of it. So this is actually really funny. Um, C would be the first to admit that my humor is pretty twisted, like really, <laughs> really twisted. Oh, yeah. And one would think like, oh, this guy must be a giant fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Well, uh, for reasons that are too complex to explain. You're not. I, I, well, I'm not. And the short answer is while I was in high school, my parents didn't have standard basic cable. So we didn't have FX. Mm -hmm. And um, when I hung out with my friends, I didn't hang out to go see TV shows. I hung out to play video games or to watch anime. So I I never caught on to It's Always Sunny. And Mm -hmm. by the time I went to college, I mean, people were like, oh, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. But I was just so interested in so many other things. And Mm -hmm. by that point, there was already such a giant backlog of episodes.
1: Yeah, massive.
0: that That I was like, oh, that's too much. So I never got around to watching it. I've seen clips on YouTube. And what I've seen I've laughed at. But honestly, I could probably count the episode, the full episodes I've seen of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with one hand. Mm. I've seen I've seen numerous clips, but that's about it. Have you um, seen the episode that the Pepe Silvia clip comes from? No. The, oh, it's a good it's a good. Okay. I I, just I've seen I've seen the episode where like it's like a Die Hard parody. I've seen that. Okay. I, Are seen, you thinking of the Lethal Weapon parody or Die Hard? die hard because uh okay. Charlie Charlie ends up in a in a in a air vent if I'm not mistaken
1: oh yeah that's right yep I know what you're talking about I, I I've I
0: seen I've seen the episode where I've seen the episode where where two of them buy a boat yep. um, <laughs> I've seen oh, that. yeah the it's the implication yeah yeah I've seen that uh, and I, I've seen the episode where Charlie paints a picture of a dog and, it, and people confuse yep. it for like a, a, a portrait that Hitler drew of his German shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I, that that's kind of, I, that's probably the only three episodes, full episodes I've seen, but I've seen clips of everything else. Like I, mm-hmm. I've seen clips of when Mac was fat. I've seen clips where Charlie like has spaghetti in his pocket. Like, I, and I
1: know you, I know the clip that's made you laugh uh, with Mac going, well, first of all, uh, through God, all things possible. <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> jot, so why don't you jot that down? <laughs> it's like, that's so great. That's yeah, so
0: yeah, genius. Yeah, see that. <laughs> I've seen that many times. Uh, but like, my exposure to the Always Sunny Quartet was that uh, I I saw horrible bosses that had Charlie Day, Jason Sudeikis, and uh, Jason Bateman. And that, to me, was the funniest movie of 2014. I laughed my ass off and I was like, wow, this Charlie Day guy is really, really fucking funny. Um, I hadn't seen much with Glenn Howerton. Everyone tells me that AP AP Bio. I think the show, mm-hmm. the other show he does. Everyone tells me that show is brilliant, but I never got around a chance to watch it. I didn't. But, so it. I haven't seen a lot with Glenn Howerton. With uh, Rob uh, Mac Macaheny Macaheny McEl- I I've seen um, I've seen uh, uh the video game TV show he has on Apple TV Plus. And uh, what what else was he in? I think that he uh, um, he's not in he's, a lot of stuff. He at one point was set to write
1: the um, the Minecraft movie the Minecraft movie, but I don't think he is anymore.
0: Yeah um, and uh, with uh, oh, I, I'm really terrible with this because I, I don't know the actress who plays uh, D. Oh um, oh my god uh, but she was uh, she was in a She's sitcom amazing. called The Mick that I saw a couple episodes of and I was like, I yeah, really funny. but long story short, Charlie day by far is the one I've seen the most of because he's, he's been the most a, viral. Yeah. And he's always, he's been in a lot of movies either as the lead or as like the comedic sidekick
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and Oh, and weird piece of trivia. Glenn Howerton has the distinction of being one of the few actors in Hollywood who's been the runner up in multiple Marvel castings. He was yes. the runner. He was the runner up for Ant-Man. He was the runner up for star Lord. And he was the runner-up for, uh, what was that other superhero, or was it a villain? He's
1: um, no, no. He's been the runner-up for. There's a villain. He was the runner-up for. It was, um, I think it was actually the villain in, uh, Venom in Spider-Man Three. I think, at one point, like he got lucky. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He almost got that. He he
0: almost beat Topher Grace for it. That's right. Yep. He almost did. So he has the distinction of, he's always been the runner-up for Marvel. Like, it it's gotten so so prevalent that, like, everyone's fully expecting that DC is going to be like, yeah, we know Marvel's made you suffer, so here, here, just take the role. Yeah. Uh, They'll give, he's, and you know what's funny,
1: is you can tell over time he's taken those near wins, but what end up near wins are losses at the end of the day, certainly, He's taken that and and used that to develop the
0: KISS character in Always Sunny <laughs> yeah. in a really fun way. That's that's interesting. That's really interesting. Basically, um, made him more crazy. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. So um, uh, so uh, right before we started recording this podcast uh, mm. or this episode, I told C that there is only one reason this episode would be one of our longer episodes. Uh huh. Um, I'm not going to say exactly what. How about we watch the trailer first
1: sure. and
0: then I'll explain my reasonings why I don't think this will be a long episode. Okay. The patient has lost the ability to speak. He's not deaf and he's technically not mute. With the proper amount of care, it's possible that he could regain his understanding of the world, his ability to speak.
1: What's our first course of action?
0: Well, the state is not going to pay for any of that, so we are gonna put his ass on the first bus downtown. What what do you
1: mean he won't get out of the trailer?
0: Get in. Take
1: a look at this guy. What about him? He's a dead ringer for you! Man don't look nothing like me. I mean look at him, he's too short. Get finished the day for you. <laughs>
0: Latte
1: pronto. Excuse me, Mr. Pronto. Can I call you Latte? Latte.
0: Latte pronto. Latte, latte pronto. Is Look
1: that yourself. your oh, name? Oh, Amazing. Well, you and me are going to do big things, pal. Bad respect, bro. Mo, Mo, stars coming through. Welcome to your team. You got me, your agent, you got your manager, lawyer, publicist, personal assistant, plus we got you an intern. You have got a big film premiere tomorrow night. Does that make you a little bit nervous? <laughs> this was a gift from Prince Harry. It was one of the original Knights of the Round Table sword or something. Can't really remember because I wasn't listening when he gave it to me.
0: Nick left to me, Lotzi. A million Disney fiddles playing. Ding, bang, boom. Began to take my breath away.
1: Is it jumping? The phone is not ringing. Don't worry, pal. I'll get it back on top. I know you think what's been happening to your career is accidental. Everything is by design.
0: Who are you really, latte pronto? Gotta get down, big time. <clears throat> so, um, see, why do you think, like, why do you think this, this episode isn't going to be that long? Because you didn't like it. Well, I think the only re- way this episode would break the one hour mark is mm-hmm. if you liked it. And I would spend the rest of the episode ranting over what the fuck is wrong with you. So, why don't I say... Should, you know what? I'm going to do something
1: interesting and tell you what my rating is, okay? Do we, we want to we we start there for just a moment? I, sh- sure, I let's, guess. Let's break, we're going to break things down a bit. And I'm going to... We're going to start there. And you don't have to give yours... But you've already said, you know, that you've said your intent. So I say that Charlie Day made a movie. Okay. So we all know the rating system on that. Okay. It's sucks, meh, movie, flush, fucks. Right? That's what Mm -hmm. we know it to be. So he made a movie. Now, why do I think he made a movie? Because clearly, you do not think he made a movie. Uh, would you... Whatever your rating is, I doubt you agree with me. And that's fine.
0: But I... Folks, I was wrong. Song. This is gonna. episode is probably going to be two hours. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Buckle up. So again,
1: let me be clear. I under. Because guess what? As I walked out... I was like, I wonder what this has on Rotten Tomatoes. I saw it, and I was not surprised, okay? (laughs) Not at all. So I understand that. This movie is such a fascinating homage to the Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin era of filmmaking. But it's literally... Deciding to, what I was, fa- what fascinated me about this was he, the idea is basically, I wanna take Charlie Chaplin and put him in today's Hollywood, basically. Like, how would that happen? Like, what would happen? And I like the idea that because that, because you can watch a Charlie Chaplin movie and still find enjoyment of it. One of the beautiful things about those films about all the work he's done, is anyone in the world can watch it, and because of its very nature, it's still enjoyable. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Okay. And I'm just talking for Charlie Chaplin's work. So because that, I think, is universal... That's one thing all people of film will agree, or 99% of people who are cinephiles, filmmakers, critics alike, will agree that there is an inherent joy with a Charlie Chaplin movie. So... I think Charlie Day took that quite literally and took a the concept of taking Charlie Chaplin and putting him in modern Hollywood and everyone just gravitates around him in a, a manner that can only be described as insane. Let's be clear. But I think that that was the movie's truth in, 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 such, a, in such a wonderful way. That you know, you have this enigma of a character who's basically a wet sponge or an unending wet sponge. And he is just able to soak up this whole world and go with the flow in such a fantastic way. There's even a Charlie Chaplin reference when he goes to the lamppost by the bench. There's a scene where he's sleeping outside at night and he's sleeping on a bench and he uses the hat to cover his face and like he's finally going to reach some level of peace. That is a direct reference. I don't know the movie but that is a direct reference to one of Charlie Chaplin's movies because the sequence that happens afterward is the wind blows his hat away uh, and then he goes after it and it, bec- it starts this whole adventure. But what's interesting is in the movie he doesn't even get to do that because he's interrupted by Hollywood again. He's inter- his, he's, He's brought back into it. So for that main reason, for that unique creativity, I have to give Charlie Day credit for that and say that he made a movie. Also, on a side note, while it was in the smallest theater that the AMC had that I went to, would you be surprised to learn that it was three quarters full? What? I'm not kidding. Or nearly three quarters. I didn't count the chairs, but nearly three quarters full. Again, I emphasize it was their smallest theater. So let's assume that it was about half, just over half the size of like their biggest theater.
0: I would guess. I was the only person in my screening.
1: I was not. No, I was with a surprising amount of people there. Wow. And I think, and here's the thing, the audience was enjoying it. They understood that there was a stupidity, or no, there was problems with it. They understood that. But I think the crowd just embraced the the ridiculousness of it and had fun. Like, I think they just enjoyed it in that way. Um, And I think they were so shocked. I think people were so surprised by it, too. So maybe I got lucky and ended up in a theater that... A bunch of people just happened to all separately decide to go and see it. And what do you know? It got got surprisingly crowded. But I give you credit, Charlie Day. You made a movie that really is you. Not you. No, there's other movies like this. But it's... There's no movie about Hollywood quite like this. The closest that it gets. And he talks about this. Charlie Day, recent, we talked about this before, di- directors doing criteria on closets and how you can get a good window into who they are, at least in, a, in, in their view on films, I should say. And Charlie Day did one. And there's two movies he talked about as the primary in- inspiration for this movie. What do you think? Do you know what they could be?
0: Was it, um, I'm going to guess Charlie Chaplin film is one of them.
1: So he, he didn't talk about Charlie Chaplin, but I'm convinced that's part of it. But no, there are two movies he talked about. I'll give you a hint. One of them you showed me. Oh, the player. Yes. He says the player was a huge inspiration to this. And the other film that was a huge inspiration for this is a film called being there which is similar to this concept, but not in Hollywood. A mute man who really is just going along with the motions in this world, in the world he's in, but it's not in Hollywood. It's, it's different. It's a different setting entirely. So he combined both of those. I think he had, I think he just didn't mention that he included Charlie Chaplin, but I think it clearly it's clear that he did but I hold that he made a movie and he clearly cared about it, clearly loved it, was clearly passionate about it. And I give him credit for that. Now, Al, I dare you to shit on my take.
0: I agree with you in, in the sense that there were very obvious inspiration, sources of inspiration for this film. What, the, the, the problem is the the, the, the the biggest problem I have with this movie is that Charlie Day seemed to have forgotten that even though Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton uh, are famous for their for their silent characters their their characters were still you know, their, their character, their, their characters were still people. They were still characters. They just didn't talk. Mm-hmm. They communicated through through you know, through their eyes, through expressions, through their physical comedy, right? Because here's the thing. Like their silent film characters were silent because there was no sound. <laughs> there was no sound. Mm-hmm. So they communicated the way everyone else had to communicate. They, they made exaggerated faces. They did Volvillian acts and, um, they did Volvillian acts and, you know, even though they never said a word because they couldn't, there was no sound. There was no way to record the sound. You knew what their state of mind was, what their, what their intentions were and how they were going about completing their goals. What happens here with fool's paradise is that Charlie Dago's, Yeah, he's just someone who gets pulled around. So, Latte Pronto has absolutely no characterization to speak of whatsoever. He's literally a sponge for all the other characters to, to, to just kind of push their ideas and motivations onto him. Now, normally, that wouldn't be a problem. Um... Normally that wouldn't be a problem if the other characters are Interesting and here's the thing Outside of Ken Jeong's character Lenny the publicist all the characters All the characters are so one note and shallow that yeah When they first pop up on the on the screen you get you get uh, one one chuckle, a couple chuckles over Adrian Brody made me laugh out loud. He was the only one who made me laugh out loud, Mm -hmm. but after a while, you're like, Oh God, I just, they're so annoying. Now, Ken Jeong's Lenny, the publicist. It, this is so weird to say the story. The lead is ostensibly latte pronto, but he's not a character. He he's not. Mm -hmm. So he's not a character. He has no motivation. He, he's literally just he's a prop. He's a prop, right? So if he's just a glorified prop, you know, the the laws of storytelling say, well, if this is a story, you gotta you, you gotta have someone's story to tell. So who's the story whose story are we telling? We're telling Lenny the publicist. But here's the thing. And this isn't a slide on Ken Jong. Ken Jong plays Lenny the publicist. So mind-numbingly gratingly annoying and just horrible like he plays him so like like such a like 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 a rat that five minutes with him you're like oh i hate this guy i hate this guy this oh this guy sucks right but ostensibly it's his story because it, even even the tagline or even the log line is even guy talks about it the story basically is Lenny is a failed publicist. He's trying to find a star so that he can, you know, he can make it big as a publicist. He happens to look into Latte Pronto, who got roped into this film production. He latches onto him because he's like, oh, this guy's going to be my meal ticket. And he goes about it in such a douchey way. And you're like, okay, the story is about how Lenny the publicist took advantage of Latte Pronto uh but because of latte pronto's because of latte pronto's situation because um, of latte pronto's situation he's he's uh, 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 he he his heart his sincerity kind of softens Lenny's heart and Lenny learns to become a better publicist, right? You're like, okay, that's the story, right? Yeah.
1: That's no, what I thought here's, here's what
0: the movie does. Mm-hmm. So we're introduced to Lenny, the publicist and his situation. The moment he latches on to Latte Pronto, he disappears into the background. He disappears into the background for like most of the second half of the first act, the entirety of the second act. He doesn't pop up until lattes fall from grace then we're where we get back to what the plot ostensibly is about which is lenny learning to like oh i took advantage of latte i need to be a better i need to become a better man in order to be a better publicist in order to get success right and the whole climax hinges on this story so by the time we get it to lenny being like oh you know what Forget this whole business stuff. Let's catch up as friends. You're like, wait, what the fuck? You were n- you you never acted like his friend. You basically latched onto him as a parasite. You you were in the background for most of it, and only when Latte falls from grace are you like coming back to the forefront, and and then it's like you're like, why do you care that? He- like I get it, he's your meal ticket, but why do you care that he left you when he was already. When you were already, he was already in a worse situation than you were, and and again, no, not again. Nothing against Ken Jong but he plays Lenny so just annoying and so like douchey. Where you're like, I'm glad you lost your meal ticket, and and he just he has a scene where he cries, was so like, oh, I learned my lesson, and you're like, how how did you learn your lesson? In what way did you learn your lesson? You literally latched onto him, freaked the fuck out because. He was broken, homeless, like you, and you're and and you just basically have a heart attack, and you go like, "Oh, I need to learn to be a better person." There, there was literally he just wakes up and goes, "I need to learn to be a better person." The the laziest way to have character development is have someone have a heart attack and they go like, "Oh, oh, I'm alive. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a changed man. Oh my God." And and again, the problem I have is that the story the story i'm i'm sure if charlie day tells the story it's like, it's a satire about it's a satire about how this publicist latches on to a literal mute man a literal mute sort of mentally disabled man as a meal ticket to be successful in hollywood and in that story i'm going to make a lot of satirical observations about life in hollywood being life as an actor as a, as a star Right, and you're like, mm. okay, that makes sense. It's been sort of done before, but with Charlie Day's sense of humor, is going to be interesting. It's going to be funny, and it, it's going to it's going to be it's it, it'll be interesting. But what we get instead is we're introduced to the publicist, then we're introduced to the mute guy, and then we we don't even see the mute guy do cute little vaudeville tricks as an homage to to um to to. Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, he just kinda he's just kinda there and gets pushed around. And what follows is just barely connected vignettes of him interacting with with Hollywood big shots and and celebrity culture in Los Angeles. And I'm just like, so this movie's 90 minutes long? I felt like I was imprisoned for at for longer than I was in Bo is Afraid. And and it's literally because these vignettes are unconnected. Literally, it's literally this is how how the film plays out. Charlie Day's Latte Pronto meets up with with uh, his celebrity friend cameo. They have a scene together, like like an SNL skit. Okay, scene ends. Next scene, maybe a connective scene or another scene with another celebrity cameo, and they have a they do a bit together. This happens with Kate Beckinsale, Adrian Brody. Uh, Ray Liotta, Je- uh, Jason Sudeikis, Eddie Falco, um, uh, Charlie Day's wife as the makeup artist. That's literally, uh, th- literally there, there's even a scene where where we see a Glenn Howerton who plays his business manager. It's the same thing. The only re- real recurring character is Ken Jeong as Lenny, the publicist. Oh, oh, and then obviously he meets up with Common later on. And, I'm just like, what do these scenes have to do with each other? It's literally like he just walks into one place and goes into another, interacts with this person. Charlie Day tries to make some sort of witty observation about Hollywood with his comedy. Um, oh, by the way, this this movie outside of Adrian Brody is not really funny. It's not. Adrian Brody makes it funny because he knows he knows the type of movie tra- Charlie Day is trying to make and he goes for it. Kate Beckinsale, like, like she, she's not even trying to be funny. She's just trying to be like your standard uptight Hollywood star aging star. And then they have this joke about plastic surgery, which I'm like, okay, it's kind of ballsy. They make a plastic surgery joke with Kate Beckinsale, considering that she famously has plastic surgery on her eyes, but even that joke is just kind of like, she just pops up with stuff over her face. She's like, I've had plastic surgery done. And you're like, is, is that supposed to be funny? It's, it's not funny. And the way you're saying it isn't funny. Um, and yeah. Uh, like, like my, my question for Charlie Day, who wrote and directed this, is like, dude, who the fuck told you your script was ready to be shot? Who? who because if if what you posted if what you shown to the world is this i'm looking at this and i'm like this isn't even a first draft this is literally like like you write a scene on a note card like like oh latte latte interacts with latte interacts with hollywood bad boy adrian brody question mark or or latte goes through goes through Marvel movies, special effects. Uh, Jason, Jason Bateman is available that day. Th- that feels like that's all he did. And then he was like, okay, we're going to wing it. And then like, I- I'm like, what did Guillermo del Toro t- tell you to do? Cause like Guillermo, say what you want about Guillermo del Toro. He's really good with story structure. And this is like one of the most aimless story. Like, like there's not even really a story for most of it until like the third act where it's got to wrap things up, trying to, trying to wrap things up in an emotional climax. And you're like, okay, if you wanted to make the movie about the relationship between the publicist and Latte, that's what the movie should have been about. And everything should have been about building that relationship, breaking down that relationship and then building it back up again. So that when Latte finally confides in Lenny, the publicist, you're like, oh, that feels real. And when Lenny goes, like, you know what, Latte, let's not talk about business. Let's go to lunch. That feels like a great way to end it. And they don't do that. They don't. And I'm I'm just I'm just dumbfounded because I'm like, this is the first film in a long, long time where I'm like, what the fuck was the script? What the what the fuck was the script? Because this this really feels like and, and I hate to say this. I hate to say this. This really feels like like, like almost like in an alternate dimension, Latte Pronto was an SNL character played by Charlie Day if he was an SNL uh, 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 cast member. And that uh, Lorne Michaels goes like, oh, we should make a movie about it. And they went about it the same way they went about with something like It's Pat, where they're like, well, this this gag doesn't last more than like 30 seconds. So we're just going to have it be these these vignettes of the character interacting with these various people, with just the thinnest thread of a plot, so that we can have like a ninety-minute movie. That's what this feels like to me. Like one of the one of like one of the worst, one of the uh, uh, less well-received, like SNL skit-based movies, where it's like, oh, they just put vignettes one after another, after another, after another. But there, there's no coherent story. There's no coherent character arc. You know, there's nothing. Um, because again, Latte Pronto isn't a character. He's just kind of a gag sponge and he not even particularly good gags. And yeah, I was like, the only good thing I will say is that Charlie Day does seem to have an eye in his, in his, um, in his, uh, in his shot composition where like, like legit, there were some shots of, of LA at night or at, or at uh, twilight where I was like, oh, that's really pretty looking. But in terms of like, in terms of like creating a coherent narrative, fuck no, the guy, the guy needs some more practice. He really does. And, and he needs, he needed, you know, what he needed was a co-writer and a producer who, to tell him, hey, the way you're having Ken played play Lenny, who's literally the, really and truly the real protagonist the way you're playing him is gonna make everyone hate him and not want to side with him when he eventually does regret what he does what he does to your character. Oh my god, there's just there's just so many problems with this movie. And I I'm just I'm on one hand I'm like, is that whole story Charlie Day told about why it took so long for his film to get released really like just a lie? And in reality he just saw it and realized it sucked and didn't want to release it? I don't know. I I it just this movie Oh, this movie made me angry. This movie made me angry because it's it first of all, the concept has been done to death. And if you want to see a good satire of Hollywood, like like C alluded to, the player is considered the best satire of Hollywood of all time. It's directed by um by the guy who did Mash. Uh, 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 oh yeah. Um, what's his face? Um, and I think the player is better than Mash. Mash is very, Mash has age well in my opinion. Oh, he also did. He also did Nashville. Um,
1: oh yeah. P. T. Anderson.
0: P. T. Anderson was like his his protege, Robert oh, Altman. Yeah. yeah. Robert Altman, like like Robert Altman's the player is the greatest satire of Hollywood of all time. Um, and it is amazing. It, but it's not like funny funny. Uh, no. If you want something that's funny, I would say, "Shit." Um, well, Hollywood doesn't like to make fun of itself, so you're not gonna find much there. Yeah, but like you know, I would say, I would say, um, a big part of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a t- satire of Hollywood at that era, and it's funny.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's funny. This, to me, was not funny. Outside of Adrian Brody, this movie was not funny. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I. <sighs>
1: so, okay. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in. Sure. You had your, you had your moment and I understand, let me be clear. The reason why it's just a movie for me is because I agree with what you're saying as well. Now I must be crazy for agreeing what you're saying with what you're saying and still enjoying it. I think what it is is there was something so, and I know I'm speaking in vague terms but genuinely there was something i found something incredibly endearing about it i know that's weird to say oh that's the movie i was thinking of uh, another another sort of critique on hollywood but early hollywood is hail caesar which you know had a lot of problems in my
0: opinion but hail, hail caesar has the same problem but you know what the narrative the narrative that ties all those vignettes together all those scenes together is like, a hundred times stronger than the narrative thread that ties the vignettes in this movie. Here's the thing. I think... You
1: know, this is sacred. Well, okay, you know what? I won't say that yet. Hail Caesar, I I did not like, to put it bluntly. I, I didn't like it either. Him. Yeah. So, point is... Most critiques on Holly, Most movies that are critiques on Hollywood don't work. Because either A, the movie the people inside wanting to be a part of Hollywood don't want to make fun of Hollywood or it ends up being a bunch of, most of them are vignettes at the end of the day. That's how they work. So that's one thing. I'm not saying you didn't, but I was fully, I fully understood and accepted that this is going to be a vignette piece. That's just what, that's the nature of this kind of movie. Because they want to put as many stars as they can, or because at the end of the day, working in Hollywood, which I do not have the experience of, it—that's probably the closest thing you can get to that experience. It's here, 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 now, here, now, here, now, here. It's probably pretty intense and crazy, and that's the only way you can genuinely, in many ways, portray it. Um, just, just the fact of the matter. But I think. Because for some reason I see what Charlie Day was trying to do, and I also agree with the one of the compliments you with your compliments. Adrian Brody is great in this, really funny, and he is the funniest part. I hundred percent agree with that. But also, like he knew what the assignment was. He knew what the assignment was, but I think uh, the other thing I agree with. This movie is shot incredibly well for the budget it was. Sh- it was shot on clearly. There are some like even the shot. You know it's a shockingly good moment when uh, Pronto is leaning down and looking at uh, Ray Liotta's character in his car and is holding those oranges. I don't know why that's like that shot really grabbed me, but it's really what could have been just a random old. Um, you know, just shot reverse shot moment. He holds on to it for a while, and it's almost like Pronto's about to enter into uh Wonderland in that moment for some reason. Like I get that vibe from that. And I know I'm probably pulling way too much out of it. And I get that.
0: I understand that. I I, I would say the best shots were when Pronto is walking in the Hollywood Hills at dusk and it's just gorgeous. You're like, wow, that's that's beautiful mm-hmm. uh, like the, the 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 night and the twilight scenes and the dusk scenes are are gorgeous and, and oh and then there's a whole sequence that happens in the premiere of a movie that looks really really well done and you're like mm-hmm. oh the, the 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 lighting is good the shadows are great the the contrast the color contrasts are really now, really nice
1: you mentioned that the uh what's the, who was the who played the woman that he married um kate beckingsale kate beckingsale I think what she was told to act like was one of those, you know, 1930s starlets, so to speak, but in the modern era. And she played that to a T. I genuinely got that vibe from her. Just the way she was so sporadic and so Um so gauche in a lot of ways. Like I really it, I really got some, let me be clear, you know what the best movie about Hollywood might be? And it's not entirely about Hollywood, but it's the closest thing you'll get. All About Eve is fantastic. Oh, just yeah. All that. About
0: Eve is great.
1: And that, that might be the best. And I know technically it's not about Hollywood. They all, they changed the names <laughs> of a lot of things. Like just, I think how they got away with it. But, <laughs> I got from Kate Sales performance, I got a All About Eve vibe. Not the lead, not Fasten Your Seatbelts, this is going to be a wild night, not that. But the, assist, the assistant, the other woman who was shy and you realize she was ghost and you realize she was kind of vain. Like that whole vibe, like that's what I got from her. And so I think for me, remember, so in a previous episode, I talked about how When we watched, uh, or when I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, don't worry, this is taking a turn. When I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, I saw all the references and it didn't, I had issue with that. Mm -hmm. I think for me, what helped me is I saw all the references and it delighted me. I think I was just so happy by the references. Uh, And the fact that he, there there were some very obvious ones, but it was the stylistic choice, the less obvious stylistic ones that he chose i really appreciated. oddly enough though simplistic too the soundtrack really helped with the pacing of the movie as well again not perfect by any means i
0: yeah i i would say okay in regards to kate beckinsale i would say my problem with her was that her character i i saw where they were going for but this is this is this is tagged as a comedy she needs to be funny and she has been like, this is going to sound so crazy. Me saying this, like she was in an Adam Sandler movie called click. Oh, and she right. was, she was funny in that. She was funny. She was funny. And in this one, and, and you know, she, she, ha- she has a TikTok with her, her daughter and she's funny in that too. And, and even like, even her ex-boyfriend Pete Davidson is like, okay, oh, bang sales, like really funny. And in this one, she's not, she's just kind of uptight. And you're like, okay, what's the joke? Like, and then they go like, oh, the joke is that you know she's she's this she's kind of like the worst example of a a Hollywood star that you can expect. And I'm like, okay, but but where's the funny? Show me the funny. Like like you know to make it funny, you exaggerate something or 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 you you show a little you show how she's like a little kooky a a kooky in a certain way. Uh, but but they don't do anything with that. They just have her be, you know, like you said, gauche and, and uptight. And it just wasn't funny. Like, like Adrian Brody was funny because he was a drunk guy who was like, I'm a method actor, but I only do half method. And like when I watch movies, I cover my ears and sometimes cover my eyes. That shit's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, that's funny. Him, to him, him and a, him and, a... and then
1: when he's at the premiere and he starts closing his eyes and covering his ears and leaning on the other guy, leaning on Ray Liotta at that moment,
0: I, was, I lost my shit. When that happened, I was like, oh my god, that's perfect. Just When Adrian brought is like in a in um in a sixties Mustang shooting a shooting a pistol outside the window <laughs> telling telling Charlie Day's character like that that's the quarter where James Dean died
1: yeah. <laughs> as he's doing it. As it's like, he's that's doing really it. funny.
0: Or, um, or, or or when he's like telling um he's telling Latte so Latte a uh, uh, recurring joke with Latte is that he doesn't drink. Alcohol mm-hmm. like makes him makes him like sick. He he takes he always takes a swig of of Adrian Brody's no 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 he always takes a swig of Adrian Brody's like flask and he always spits it out Mm. (laughs) and then in the last time they talked to each other he takes a swig and he just spits out a little drip and Adrian Brody without missing a beat goes like yeah it's small batch (laughs) (laughs) that's funny funny. I was like I was like Adrian Brody is fucking Adrian Brody is fucking funny. And I just don't understand why no one else was there's a there's a scene, where where they, they, so so most of these characters are or most of these actors are just extended cameos, like mm-hmm. they're there for one scene, like Jason Bateman, Ray Liotta, uh, Eddie Falco, uh, especially true with John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Well, so- <gasps> I was gonna get to that.
1: Let me just say you know the film they were referencing for that. Uh, of course, of course. Yes. I know what they were referencing. Um, oh my God. But, that's, but, again, that's what I'm saying though. When the references happened, it just brought me to light. And you know why. I, but i like, I know. God, but. that was so like watching him do that. I'm like, and then just the guy with the
0: respirator on in the background. Well, okay, that so, was really good. Too. So with, without getting into specifics, John Malkovich and another actor who I I don't know who it was. I they're pretty tell. they're pretty much parodies of of the Koch brothers. Yeah. Uh, and John Malkovich is giving this this monologue, which might as well be a. a uh, um, uh, it's a rip from network yeah yeah it's it's, it's 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 a rip from network it's basically a very much a, a corporatist anti anti uh, like like anti uh, social welfare it, it it's a it's a pro big business monologue
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and he's giving it and you're like okay, I guess where's the funny and, and then the, the 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 I guess the funny has to come because John Malkovich it has to be John Malkovich but here's the thing though John Malkovich is, is playing the role pretty straightforward he's not leaning into it and mm-hmm. that that was the problem is like if if Kate Beckinsale leaned into it a bit more if if John Malkovich leaned into it a bit more if 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 Jason Sudeikis leaned into it more, it would be funny. There are only two instances where the actors leaned into it. Adrian Brody, and I didn't mention him because he's literally only in there for like 30 seconds, but Jimmy Simpson plays what's obviously a parody of Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah. and, And he leans into like all the worst tendencies of Jimmy Fallon. The forced laughing and everything. And that was funny. And I'm like, why is this guy and Adrian Brody the only two who are like, Oh, Charlie Day's making a satire. We're gonna we're gonna kind of exaggerate these elements for, for comedic effect. Instead, they don't. Like at worst, like Jason Sudeikis is, is the is basically playing like the the Auteur hotshot director, right? That's who he's playing. Mm-hmm. And really, Julie just comes off as a dick, and not even a funny dick. He's just like, yeah, this guy gave me this. Yeah, this guy gave me that. And when it came time to actually directing, he just goes like, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. I'm like, why get Jason Sudeikis for that if, if like like make, I don't know, like have him have him like do this whole thing where he talks to Charlie Day's characters like this is your this is like what you this, this is like your motivation, but like lean into like the stereotype of like the blockbuster directors. like, mm-hmm. like make Jason Sudeikis Michael Bay, but mm-hmm. even crazier. Instead yeah. he's like, he's just kind of a guy who's like a douche and lives in a really rich place. Like, he came off more as, like, just an eccentric rich dude when the right path would have been to, like, hey, you're Michael Bay, but but, exaggerate everything. And I, that, that's my problem. You're making a satire. You kind of have to exaggerate some elements. And only a couple actors seem to understand that they were in a satire. Uh, but really and truly, like, I have no problem with making a movie where it's, like, pretty much just a series of interconnected vignettes if the narrative thread that connects them is is adequate. I'm not even saying strong. I'm saying adequate. Like, listen, Hail Caesar wasn't great, but the narrative thread that connected all those scenarios was adequate. And Hail
1: Caesar was boring. No, it,
0: it's boring. It's boring. But at least like the thread that connected them was something where you're like, okay, I want to see where this goes. This guy gets kidnapped. And this is the, this is a, it's all about dealing with this guy that's kidnapped. In this one, the narrative thread is, the relationship between latte and his publicist why the fuck would you put that into the background if if you literally open your movie not with latte but with the publicist the publicist just lost the comedian as a cl- his only client and he goes like oh fuck i got to find i got to find a new client what the fuck am i going to do and you're like okay this is the point of your character this is the character who's going to have the arc who's going to grow who's going to fall and then Become a better person, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. And then he gets thrown into he's gets thrown into the literal background where we just see him every once in a while talk for latte or drink energy drinks. And and here's the thing, the energy drink gag isn't even funny. He's just drinking them. You're drinking them or crushing the can. Like there was a there was an opportunity there for a joke, and they didn't take it. Like, what the fuck? I think for me
1: The story is really Latte Pronto gaining back his understanding of the world. It's like he's a child. So I I saw the the publicist angle as a bit of a side thing. I genuinely, his, him, like... Because if you notice, I give Charlie Day credit here. He develops the um, mannerisms of Pronto more and more as the movie goes along. And it, I got to give credit again, it's subtle at first, but then you realize like, oh, now we're halfway through the movie and Pronto now understands, oh, he's sad, I should be sad, or he's happy, I, she's happy, I should be happy. Like you see that development, that change. And I genuinely think that was the main element of the story was watching him stumble through what ends up being this crazy world and that this crazy world is reacting to him in such a fantastic way. Because he's bringing out this such this fantastic, almost uh, Charlie Chaplin energy in certain ways, so that's sort of what I thought. That's what I was focusing on the main story. The I, publicist stuff was just it was happening, and yes, he made he he helped the the publicist realize like the wrong he was doing,
0: the advantage he was taking. But that was sort of on the side for me. I I, but here's the thing: if you're going to make Pronto the actual protagonist <laughs> and have the story have it have tell his story you have to actually create a character not a sponge like like the thing about being there i haven't seen the full film but i've seen bits and pieces yeah peter sellers doesn't talk in it but he's a fully developed character his whole thing is that he's only ever experienced the world through television and through the garden he was originally in right Mm -hmm. but but you know, he's still a character with agency who, who somewhat understands what's going on. And his whole thing of growth is comparing the real life with what he saw on television. Latte Pronto is literally just a blank slate. He's literally just there to react to whatever the craziness that the other, or, or attempted craziness that the other character wants to throw at him, sometimes throw at him literally. And that's fine and all, But then he can't be your central character because he's just he's just a sponge. He's not a person. He's a sponge. Um, So it was that it was that thing of like Charlie Day looked like he wanted to be the protagonist, but he didn't want to build a character. He wanted to be he wanted to be a kind of like a a, a gimmick or he, he wanted to be a gag, which is fine. That's fine. I mean, movies do that all the time, but. When, when they do that, they always make sure, like, okay, but we do have to have, like, a, like a, like a point-of-view character who grows and who becomes a better person. Uh, point being, um, did you ever see a movie called – what was it called? Um, it had, a, it had a Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Natalie Portman and Rain Wilson in it. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays, like, this heavy metal dude. Was it called uh, Thrasher? I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Was it called Thrasher? I, I don't remember. I think it might have been called Thrasher. Uh, but the whole point remember. is that that Thrasher, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is basically this metalhead dude who's just there to be a metalhead, right? That's the mm-hmm. whole gag. Uh, but the true story is the kid he befriends, Rain Wilson's son, who he befriends, and it's the kid's story that's being told. He's the point of view character. So Joseph Gordon Levitt is just there to be, you know, a, a metalhead stereotype in a fun way. And uh, the kid is there to 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 grow and to develop as a character. Mm-hmm. So movies do this, but there was like there has to be a central character. If it's gonna be Latte Pronto, you gotta you gotta make him a person. And they go like, well, you know, he's he he has the mind of a five-year-old and he doesn't talk. And it's like, okay, that that's still he still, you know, has wants, needs, desires. And in this movie, all he does is react, 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 react. And not even react in a funny way. He just kind of reacts like, oh, or goes like, ah, and that's it. Like, like Mm -hmm. if at least he had him reacting, like, like doing something like, like the big crazy thing he does is that he looks in the camera. Like he makes eye contact with the camera, which you are like,
1: well, he also reacts where I like how he, he
0: watches a movie like he's never seen it before. There was that too. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. And it's, I mean, it might be that he, th- he thinks his reactions are funny enough. But, I mean, a guy jumping up because he's watching something in 3D, it's like, that's been done before. What's, what's your take on it? And he has no take. He's just like, oh, I, it just jumps up scared. It's like, he doesn't, like, try to run away. He doesn't try to do something crazy. He just kind of just jumps up and that's it. And that's, that's just not, that's not enough to be the funny it needs to be. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we've we've gone over an hour and I have I've a little bit. I, I've said all I've I care to say about this movie. I I don't recommend anyone watch it. I listen, Charlie Day wanted to make his feature film debut. He made it. I just think he committed the cardinal sin that he did not have a strong script to start with. So I, for I you, just, is this a met or a sucks? This for you. is a fucking sucks. Damn. Because Listen, have there been movies made without scripts? Yes. And you know what? Um, The successful ones have almost all been made by a guy named Richard Linklaker. Even, (laughs) Even guys who do heavy improv, like Judd Apatow, Seth Rogen, those types of dudes, they still have a script to work off of that's basically like, this is the story beats, and these are the sections where we can improvise. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like Fool's Paradise had that. I feel like Fool's Paradise was literally Charlie Day had some ideas. He's like, "Oh, Latte reacts reacts to, uh, char- reacts to director, and that's it. It's like that's not that's not a script. That's not like, you know what? I'm gonna try to find the script for this movie. I want to read it because." And maybe he just, you know, sometimes directors, they get so into their heads that they have a good movie, but then they cut it to to death because they just didn't trust their gut. Hmm. Maybe it was that what happened. And maybe Maybe. his script's actually really good. Maybe. 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 I mean, I
1: I know. Listen, I know what that's like. Uh, That I do know what that's like. Um, And if that
0: happened, then I feel really bad for Charlie Day because that's the worst feeling in the world where you don't trust your gut. You basically try to salvage you, you perceive that you need to salvage this. And then you end up realizing that like what you ended up presenting may have been worse than what, what you originally had. Like, but usually it's, it's like the studios that do that to you. They're like, Oh, this isn't good. Do it again. And you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. It's what happened with Zack Snyder in justice league, Yeah, you know? But then he eventually left,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then you, when he, you show the thing that he wanted to make, you're like, it's long, but it's interesting and good. Yeah. And maybe with Charade, it was like, maybe the studio said it's not good, and he just got into his head and felt like he had to reshoot it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But, but
1: you. But then you got to wonder what Guillermo del Toro said to him.
0: Yeah, yeah, that too. And here's the thing: Guillermo del Toro has humor in his movies, but he's never made a straight up comedy. So I no. wonder if. I don't know. I, even I, even yeah. if you've never made a comedy, I think you'd still know what what works as funny and what doesn't. I don't know. Uh, you'd be surprised. I will say, I will consent uh,
1: or concede. Sorry, that this would have made a vastly superior and vastly superior short film. Like yes, this would have been yes, this would have been with with the trick would have been having as high level cameos to do it.
0: Which this been would have this would have this, this been a great like YouTube series
1: yeah oh actually
0: yeah that would have been great yeah latte pronto and, and then People Ken Gyeong, Ken Jeong, basically introduces the scenario to latte like oh here's your co-star that you have to meet oh here's the thing and like his jokes are recurring but then like one episode is about his interactions with Adrian Brody's character one like like that shit that shit could have been funny because then you're like working into the span of probably no more than three minutes every every vignette.
1: Yeah, that could have and worked. People, people would have. So I will admit. Yeah, actually, there we go. That would have been really cool. Um, so I, I also, like I said, I've said why I give it a movie. I genuinely can see what Charlie Day was going for, and I think he just got lost in the sauce one way or another. I actually think he made some good points about that. We don't know if you do read the script. Send me a link. I'm actually curious about that. Yeah. Um But yeah
0: so i think we we've reached a little over an hour (laughs) yeah (laughs) um all right this has been what do you think in our review of fool's paradise formerly known as fool's gold which i definitely feel like it's fool's gold uh
1: (laughs) maybe that's why i changed the title he's like i don't want i can see the reviews i don't want yeah yeah (laughs) probably
0: probably but yeah yeah uh this has been what do you think i'm al and i'm c i'm c good night everybody